like I have never met a YouTube tutorial that I did did not enjoy. Like I fixed, I'll fix. Like I've just, I just fixed the the, the windows in in our living room that had been janky for a while. I fixed the the garbage disposal all off YouTube videos. I love like a user manual. <laughs> I break stuff just so I can watch a YouTube how to fix it tutorial. You do not. No, I don't. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. We've got a good one for you. We have Lennon Parham, who's an improv legend on two coasts, both New York and Los Angeles. Uh, she's a pretty successful TV actor, writer, creator uh, of two TV shows with her partner, Jessica Sinclair. She, they created BFFs and uh, Playing House, both hilarious shows. But you may know her from her appearances on Veep, Lady Dynamite, schooled bless this mess uh parks and recreation she she's been around for a while um and is always hilarious and uh, we're lucky to have her on the podcast we're going to talk about her career and how she uses improv in her writing um and also as a just a, an actor um, and we're also going to talk about uh, characters she's well known for bringing very specific characters to her work so we're going to talk about that and we'll talk about a lot of other things here on the Centralia Improvisational Podcast. In northeastern Pennsylvania, there's a town called Centralia. Centralia was once a thriving coal mining community, home to thousands of people. But in May of 1962, a fire was started in a garbage dump near an open coal seam. The fire was thought to be extinguished, but actually continued underground, often releasing gas and flame to the surface above, until the town of thousands eventually dwindled to less than a dozen. The fire still rages today and shows no sign of stopping. The following podcast is in no way related to Centralia, Pennsylvania. And now, direct from New York City, an island off the coast of America, it's the Centralia Improvisational Podcast. You know, doing improv, we never had any money to hire a tech, so I was always, yeah. I would set it up, the one. lights and sound, plus I love doing it, you know. That's good. I love doing it. You know what I mean? Like, I love that part of the work. Yeah. The Especially... If, because in improv, people don't pay attention to the theatricality as much as I would like them to. You know, like you're in a theater. Let's put on a show. Yes. Let's wear a costume. You know, yeah. like even if the costume is jeans and a t-shirt, put some thought into it and bring your jeans and a t-shirt with you in a bag. <laughs> put it on there. <laughs> as crazy as that sounds, I'm like, it's a costume. Come on, let's do that. Uh, but that's just because that's what I love about theater. You know, yeah. I love that part of it. Um. And, and, you know, to turn on the lights or open the curtains. So now it's, yeah. we're in a different place. We're yeah. different people. Anyway, so, like, they need... And I, I, it was either Shiapa or my wife. Somebody was like, they need somebody to do this for a show. And I was like, I'll do it. And so I've basically been working there for 11 years temporarily, like, from gig <laughs> to gig. That's amazing. But it's like, it's crazy. And I keep wanting to not do it because I'm like, I'm not using all of my skills. Buffalo. yeah. Right, I can do sometimes, and I make a short film every year with the kids, um, which is super fun. We got Ellie Kemper in on one a little while it's ago. Amazing. So it's like, 
Yeah, it's super fun. Uh, but I only get to do one, so I get to do like one five minute thing a year. Um, and I get to, you know, I still get to do Centralia. You know what I mean? So yeah. So it's good, but I do want to quit the job, and but I have nothing else lined up. <laughs> Nobody does. Nobody does. I know. Is right? that just Especially you? Now. Nobody does. Nobody does. I know it's nuts. It's nuts. Um, I don't know. I don't know why we don't quit. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to. I don't. Mean, I didn't mean to bring the room down, but I'm like, like this. This. What drives performers is a question I. I'm going to do a separate podcast. Mm, I think mm-hmm. like what keeps you going? The it's nothing but rejection. It's true. Even, I'm sure someone with your level of credits, oh, right, your yeah. list of credits. I'm sure you're banging your head against the wall every day, and you're like, "Why is it this way?" Yeah. Well, I mean, this is another podcast, right? But uh, yeah. yeah, it's a lot of no's, and if it isn't a lot of no's, it's like huge no's every couple of years. Like huge, like this is over. You're the way your life was going is over now. So try something mm. else. You know what I mean? Jesus. So yeah. like, uh, yeah. I mean, that part of it doesn't ever get easier. But what you kind of realize is like, what is it that you're spending your time doing, like day to day? Like, if you don't mm-hmm. like that, then you're effed. Like, right. Because that is your life. It's not the thing that you're working towards necessarily. It's like how did you spend most of March? Yeah, it should be the other way around. You should be doing that other stuff, the showbiz stuff. Yeah. So then you can do the stuff you want to do for your life. Yeah. Stuff you need to do. Or Family, you're doing friends. the thing that you want to do all the time, hopefully most of the time. That's anyway. the rarest thing though. That's yeah. who gets to do that. I do. Damn. I do. <laughs> so should we get into it? Yeah, do it. Let's talk about impro. I may have to use my, this is my <laughs> podcast voice once in a while. We're on the podcast. Oh, shit. I got Leonard Parham. Is it Parham or Parham? I guess I should know this. The I always said Parham. Parham. You said it right. Yeah, Leonard you said Parham. it right. Leonard Parham. Uh, although, mm-hmm. as I was typing it today, I'm like, do I pronounce that H? I never did. You don't. Not, I did in, not... not in my family for some reason. So that's the right way then. Yeah. Um, so can I interview you about who you are first before we actually get into some practical stuff? Do it, yeah. That, you know, for people that might not know, or maybe know, but there's some details that are that are uh, in the gray area. Like, how do you pronounce okay. your name? We covered right. that. So you're from Georgia? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, covered that. <laughs> born um, and raised. <laughs> born and raised, but did you... Did you do Im- improv? What, like, when did you discover improv? I'm assuming you did musical theater because you can sing and all that stuff. That's... I'm assuming you were the lead in your high school musical. No, here's <gasps> here's the deal. Okay. Give me the deal. <laughs> okay, Scott. Um, I was obsessed with SNL. I was obsessed with Whose Line Is It Anyway. We didn't have any of that at my school. I took like, uh, I took a couple classes at the Atlantic. I'm sorry, Atlantic. That's not right. The Atlanta, the big Atlanta theater downtown. I'm calling it the Atlantic, but I can't it's, remember it's now. It's the BAT. It's the big Atlanta theater. Everybody knows. Okay. That. Yeah. At the BAT. So I took classes at the BAT downtown. It's Kenny Leon theater. So that like gave me sort of an introduction to a more professional world. So this, like, you were like in high school at this time? This was middle school. I was doing okay. like performances there. And then in high school, 
I was in everything, but I wasn't the lead in anything. I was the comedic. Usually I was a comedic, like, side person. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I get that. Which was fine um, and correct for then. Were you unhappy? Were you like, I'm the lead? I didn't want to. I don't know. There were times when I was like, oh, that was a weird choice. But then I always ended up having fun in whatever it was that I was in. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Did you have a director that like guided you towards that to say, you know, find find your place in that part? Or did you just sort of like say, I don't want to be miserable? Oh, I don't know. I mean, like I got, like I was in Annie, I was like the, the character that was Daddy Warbucks, like support, oh, like yeah, secretary. Yeah. But yes. in the movie, yes. her part is so much better. Yeah. She's a whole dance number. Grace Farrell, something like that. Yeah, Miss Farrell. Miss Farrell. So she says, she she has the whole number like, we got Annie. But they didn't, that's not in the musical. So we didn't do that number. So I was just like harmonizing. I don't know. It was, it was fine. It was not my, it was not my. <laughs> did you, did you want to be Annie? Did you like look at the girl who got Annie with like daggers in your eyes? No, no. Cause that I knew Cheryl Pottinger was Annie and she was born to play that part. Everyone says that about her. They do. She had curly red hair. It's like, of course. Oh, of course. Also, she could sing and belt. Anyway, um, but then our senior year, we did, uh, we entered into a comedy sports competition with like other high schools and won. And I had like the blackout line of the big super freeze game. Oh my God. Yeah. And I, of course, I'd only ever done it in like exercises in class, but like to be able to like, I mean, it was a packed house and we were, we were the final like two teams standing and, and we won. And I was like, what is this? Like, this there's is, nothing more powerful than that first hit. This is like, it. if you really kill in front of a packed house and it's improvised, then it's all you. Yeah. You know, you're not saying a famous line that everybody already knows. Yeah. It's something original. That's powerful. Did you know it at the time that like, oh, I want to pursue improv or did it slowly sneak up on you? After no, because that? that wasn't like a thing that anyone that I had ever known had done or like I didn't I don't think I like looked at SNL and knew like I didn't know that Second City was the track to do that. Like in Atlanta, I was so far removed from that. And the improv scene in Atlanta, while huge now, is was non-existent then. Right. So. I went to college for like proper theater and studied um, and did like learned a lot about acting, which was really good um, for me to develop characters as we were talking about. Mm. Um, and while I was there, I met Jack McBrayer, who he was a senior when I was a freshman and we were both oh, from wow. Georgia and uh, he, when he, we like had so much fun, like goofing off in the cost, like we had work study together, I think in the costume shop and we just would always mm -hmm. like goof around. Um, and I was like, oh, this feels like, like at home, I feel at home with him comedically. Like we could play really easily together, but mm -hmm. he was a theater management major. So he was How never hilarious. in any of the shows. Do you think he's disappointed that he's not managing a theater? Right now? <laughs> I, you know. I think he's over it. I think he's okay. over it. 
Right. Um, you got you to gotta let go of your dreams. So I watched him when he graduated, he went to Chicago, and he did I.O. and then Second City and then both of them and was on in the tour co. And I lived in Chicago for a summer, the summer of 96. Oh, no, my God. 97, 97. I was already gone. Otherwise, we would have met. Yeah. Because it's such a small town. I think it was the summer. Yeah, summer 97. So I saw him perform with, uh, like, Georgia Pacific at I.O. And Mm. I think a bunch of people that you know, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I think you should do this. Like, I think you'd be great at this. And I, so I had, when I moved to New York, after I graduated, I I did a thing called Teach for America in Mm -hmm. Mississippi. And then I moved to New York and I immediately signed up for Second City classes, Mm -hmm. which is where, of course, I met you. Wait, I was there? I think so. (laughs) Let me check check my journal. I think you directed the very first Second City New York Review Showcase. We built this city on rent control. <laughs> that was a smash hit. <laughs> two months after 9-11. It was two months after 9-11, and we did it. And I look back now thinking, were we crazy? Mm-hmm. But we did it. We were like, yeah. people are going to need to laugh, Yeah. and we're going to be the people to provide it. And we didn't shy away from anything political or social. No. Nope. Um, and I was really proud of the work that everybody did. Like everyone was just, maybe everyone was just really young and naive. Yeah. Perhaps. That has, I'm sure that had something to do with it. Yeah. But we went ahead and did it. We did. And then I did one right after that, another one with another group that was uh, just as uh, um, daring and bold mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. incredibly satisfying. So what I'm saying is I kind of miss 9-11. <laughs> oh, no. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's politically correct to say. It isn't. It really isn't. Ooh. All right, I'll have to edit that. Out. <gasps> uh, but it was really, it was really a great group. It was a, spe- it was a special time. Yeah, um, yeah. A yeah. Good, like, we were... I mean, I'm still like M- Leslie is one of my best friends still. Leslie mm-hmm. Mizell. Mm-hmm. Um Molly Prather lives here. I haven't seen her in a long time, but I, th- from the looks of things on Instagram, she's doing amazing. Yeah, she's like a, sc- a screenwriter. Yeah. Right. Um. Who else? Uh, Kimmy Gatewood, of course. Oh, superstar. Legend. Legend. Uh, Marcy Lacenary. Do you remember her? Oh, yeah, of course. Love yeah, her. She, was like at, at, oh, she worked at MTV. Yeah. I think. Yep. Yeah. Um, anyway, people like Topping Haggerty. Do you remember Topping? Oh, my God. Of course. I saw Phenomenal. her in Texas a few years ago. Oh, my gosh. She's still around, still doing it. Love it. Such a good bunch. It was a good bunch. It was a great bunch. Will, Nunziata. The nuns. <laughs> the the yeah. nuns is one of those people uh, that I, like the moment I saw him, I was like, this guy's a superstar. Yeah. And I don't know why he isn't like a household name. Yeah. I can't say. That's the strange thing about showbiz. Mm. There is no like employment office you go to to fill out the forms. Right. You know, there's no HR you can go to. Right. Um, it just happens. Yeah. Um, so, all right, let's get back on track uh, to talking about improv. I just, you know, uh, you're one of those people that, like, you seem to have such joy in everything you do. Oh, right? thanks. I mean, it's obvious. And 
you know, you do a lot of crazy characters. Yeah. So I guess my first question is like, what's the inspiration for your characters or your take on a character that is handed to you? Uh, you know, um, I was thinking about this in the, like, what would I tell people like is the like key or whatever to creating characters. And the, and the thing that I came to was actually what you started off with, which is like, you just have to in, like, first and foremost, you have to enjoy it. Like, so if you're not enjoying it, then no one will be, I'm pretty sure. So mm-hmm. whoever it is, you got to find something in them that makes you laugh or that you connect to or something. I mean, I think it's really different when I'm doing improv versus when I'm doing like a, like a part, like a, the, like on the show that I was just on, Bless This Mess, I played mm-hmm. sort of an uptight uh, farmer, like a ranch wife who ran the place and went through like a divorce, like separation phase and was kind of coming into her own and, um, but very conservative. And I just really liked how sharp she was and how, like, how she called people on their shit and said it like it was and the turns of phrases. It felt like it was an homage to my grandmother or something. Like, mm. it was very similar to the way that she would put people in their place, like, with a with a look or um, with one line, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I... I fell in love with her as I was doing it. Like, I think at first I was, you know, it felt a little like bigger than reality. And then as mm-hmm. I, as we, as we continued to go, um, it felt, it grounded itself and you kind of saw behind the curtain. Do you find yourself, if you're playing a character that's, uh, you know, not a, not like you, you know, yeah. either politically, emotionally, whatever. Do you find yourself becoming a satirist and commenting on your character? I'm thinking specifically maybe about Veep or, or uh-huh. that, that might have a satirical bent as a, as a show. Like, do you find yourself not commenting on the character, but sort of, yeah. you know, seeing yourself as a comedian and a satirist first, act actor second? I feel like... Mm, uh, I feel like if people don't believe it, then it's not as funny. So I think I want it. I want you to believe that this person is a real person that would exist in this world and would say this insane thing. Mm -hmm. So like, it's sort of like you have to ground it and give, like fill out that real stuff first. And then inside Mm -hmm. of that, you can do whatever the fuck you want. So yeah, like, because at the end of the day, if the person says something and you were like, why they would never say that, or this feels like the fourth wall is coming down or it's too meta or something like, unless, yeah. you know, I mean, in a real performance in like a recorded performance where you're, where you look like the character that you're playing and that sort of thing. It's a different, mm-hmm. it's like a whole different ball game though, when you're improvising because oh, yeah, yeah. you're not, we'll, 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 yeah, we'll get to that. I think. Okay. Because uh, I think these really are two different processes, process yes. uh-huh, processes uh-huh. that process. you're talking about. Process, process, process. Yeah. Um, because you, you for, for for our listeners at home, back to the podcast voice, for our listeners at home, yeah. you 
you work in showbiz in in multiple capacities, right? You're you're you right. create shows, you write yeah. things, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you're also a hired gun to come in and be a funny actor. Yes. Um, and then also you do live improv, which I'm, I'm assuming you do just for sport right. at this point. Well, um, yes. So, 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 yeah. So I guess what I'm interested in is sort of like your, your different take on each of those things. Like when you're a hired gun, right. how, how do you approach it? And is there room for improv or, or what do you take from improv that helps you either break down a character before you're performing or while you're in performing? Yeah. And then and then if you're creating a character, how does improv help that? I'm asking all the questions I want you to answer. <laughs> at all once. at once right now and now now I talk for sixty minutes. Okay. And and that yes. And then and then we'll and then we'll talk about improv. But first, like if you're handed say Veep yeah. for Bless This Mess or something. Yeah. And then, you know, for Bless This Mess, you said your your grandmother. So when you're handed a character, do you always sort of find like, oh, this is like someone I know in my life or in your life? No. Like how do you find that thing that is real for you? Um, I, you know, uh, I think I came to the grandmother thing much later. Like, I don't like, I don't start, like, I, I read the part. I could picture her in my head. I was like, I know how to make this funny. I know who this woman is. I could be this woman. You know what I mean? Like, that was sort mm-hmm. of where I started. Um, like, if you haven't, if you hadn't left home. If you hadn't had a killer line at the end of an improv set. Right, right, right. If I had, if I moved person. back to where my family's from in Alabama and like got a plot of land and decided to start like taking over and do like cow farming or whatever. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I know people like that in my life. Um, mm-hmm. And I know what's good about them. And so I feel like I could do it kind of um, with respect, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. Um, totally. That show I did improvise a lot on, and they ended up keeping some of it, which is rare. Why is it rare? Do they think they're just indulging you, or or the writers step in and say, we're not using any of that? Well, it's just the whole process of it. So, like, in a 22-minute sitcom, um the story, there's usually so much story. A lot Mm -hmm. of times, like an entire storyline will get cut or a character, like there's it, cause you're, you're filming like a 29 to 31 page script. And then you have to edit it down to 20 to 22 minutes, depending on what, where you are network wise and advertiser wise. So Mm -hmm. like a lot of times they're getting rid of extra jokes, extra storylines, because they've got to tell the story in a coherent way. So a -hmm. lot of improv, you know, obviously is tangential or sometimes, uh, you know, unusable because it takes too long. (laughs) And also if you're not cross shooting, um, which means two cameras on, you know, on each Mm -hmm. character so that you can actually use the footage when you're cutting back and forth to each other. Um, it's, it's harder to do, but on bless this mess, we had three cameras, um, you know, a lot of improvisers, David Koechner, like Nancy mm-hmm. Lenahan, Jim O'Hare, like uh, amazing cast, obviously Lake Dax, um, mm-hmm. Pam Greer, Ed Begley Jr. And JT Neal. And they, they, you know, we would improvise, we would improvise a lot. It also makes it way funner. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Because if I can make you laugh or I can make the crew laugh, like with, without, you know, in, in addition to what's scripted, which everybody's read and seen and already laughed about, like, um, it just makes it way funner. And then I think you can kind of feel that, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm through the screen. It also gives it a certain life because the improv forces people to listen because it's something they haven't heard. You right. Know, by the time you're, you're on true. set, everybody knows everything about it. And right. it's just executing decisions that have already been made. Right. And, and so when you're improvising, everyone's sort of like, oh, this is new. Yeah. And, and, and the performances are a little bit more alive. Yeah. I'll improvise even just like a small, like, well, it takes a village or whatever, you know, whatever the line is mm-hmm. that if they need a cutaway or a, or like a button to the scene, like mm-hmm. they know they can always cut to me and use that, you know, like mm-hmm. sort of filler stuff, you know, yeah. um, it also, like you said, it makes it feel alive. It makes me feel like that's my special power that I can bring to this that nobody else can in this way, you know, um, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, but like on a show, like another show I was on schooled, like that's the creator of the Goldberg spinoff. It was very scripted. So I would improvise sometimes, but like that was either welcome or it wasn't depending on the director, depending on what they were looking for. It changed from Mm -hmm. season to season. But like, if I'm in a scene with Tim Meadows and I can't improvise, like what the fuck is going on? You know what I mean? So Yeah. So we would improvise with each other just for for us and the crew, obviously, like it's so much more fun. So we would say what was scripted and then add stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you weren't replacing the lines. You were just adding lines at the end of it. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, if it was like if it was like a, a line that you know, because they would write like joke paragraphs kind of. And sometimes that in itself was funny that like a person could ever come up with like this amount of a joke, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and, and when I first started on that show, I didn't improvise at all. Like on the very first day, I'm not improvising. But maybe right. by day four or five, I might like pepper in a couple things. And then the director likes it. If he likes it, then he asks for more than I do more, you know? So it's, yeah, it's sort of like you want to see what the safety level is when you're doing that. Um, on Veep, it was scripted, but it wasn't really. How, what, what do you think the percentage on Veep of improvised lines versus scripted lines was in the end? Well, I mean, we had sort of a frame. I mean, it was definitely scripted, right? Um, mm-hmm. But so the table read, the draft would be like 70 pages or something like that. And we would read it just for the actors. And then this was the first season that I did. It changed after this, I think, Um, especially when Dave Mandel took over, it was different Mm -hmm. with, than with Armando. So you do the table read and then you get up on your feet with the script in hand and rehearse and, and like rehearse it. And, Everybody is improvising and trying out new stuff. And then you put the scripts down and you do the scene without a script at all, saying whatever comes. And you follow the funny, try to make it back to what you're saying again. Mm -hmm. The writers are like recording it and also furiously writing on the sidelines. 
And then the next script that you get oftentimes has the most successful stuff in it. Wow. So then that's a yeah. It so, seems like a time consuming process, but totally yields. There gold. was four weeks of rehearsal before we started filming. Wow. It's actually akin to or similar to the Second City process, mm-hmm. although that starts with pure improv, mm-hmm. the repeating, repeating, and separating the wheat from the chaff. I don't know if I'm using that phrase correctly. I believe you are. Separating the gold from the dirt. Yeah, the cream rises to the top, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> mm, the chickens are coming home to roost. I don't think that one fits. No, that's no. That's popped in my head. No, no. Um, so that's, do you feel then like more a part of something that uses your process? I mean, did I feel more a part of Veep than I did of like Bless This Mess? No. Yeah. Okay. Because that show was certainly not mine. Do you know what I mean? I think the people, the people who were, uh, you know, the core cast that were there in every episode for every you know, and, and most scenes, I think they definitely felt, I mean, I'm sure it was a satisfying, it was right. satisfying. Like after the audition of Veep, um, which was in the room with Julia Louis-Dreyfus and oh my God. Um, Chris Addison, who was the directing an EP at the time, it was, it was the most satisfying audition experience I had ever had. And I thought like, I was like, if, if, if it ends here, like, it will have been enough because that was so fucking fun. Oh, that's great. I mean, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, I mean, mean, you're, you're good, but come on. I know. Um, Let's be honest. (laughs) I know. And afterwards she just like, I mean, when I, I could see like when I would do something that she liked and her eyes would light up and it was just like the best, just the best feeling to make someone like that, that you love and have looked up to for so long laugh yeah i mean whatever we can talk about julia louis dreyfus for an hour but um it's just amazing like when you were sort of saying that some directors don't go for improvising to be in a room with someone not only that you respect but just someone who wants you to be at your best yeah which is awesome and as you said use your superpower but also like as a creator of a show of a I was a writer of a show who had like, that was a lesson that I kind of had to learn going forward. Like when I was first writing shows, I did not want anybody to not say what I had written. Like, wow. And we would hire people that were, you know, improv people. And then they would improvise and I would be like, okay, okay, okay. Back to the words that we wrote exactly as we wrote them. Like, you know what I mean? I remember thinking like, that the words that we that we had written were so precious and right. kind Your of first show was BFFs is yeah. that the first one yeah and that was for a major network yeah it was so that's there's a lot of pressure there there was yeah um and you I'm sure you'd put in a ton of work how many yeah. drafts of the pilot who knows like eight drafts nine who drafts who knows I right. mean, so I, I get it from that perspective of like, yeah, we, we've put the time in and yeah. it's network approved and there's a lot of money involved and everything yeah. else and careers and it's your first shot. So I, 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 I'm letting you off the hook for any feelings you yeah. have towards the, the you of the past. But also too, like we would improvise, like Jess and I would improvise because we knew 
what the right. story was. And then if someone else came in and saw us improvising, they would be like, we want to improvise too. And we would be like, um, but on your, your show, <laughs> just your what. show for USA, um, playing house, yeah, playing house. Mm-hmm. Did you change how you approached letting people improvise? Which, it was definitely a different experience from Best Friend Trevor to, to play. I mean, we really like wrote, we wrote parts with people in mind. And then like, if that person was unavailable, we were right. <laughs> like, like we wrote Rod Rockamore, the UPS guy with Jack McBrayer mm-hmm. in mind. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We wrote it mm-hmm. in his voice for him and he did improvise some, I mean, we played around with it, like, but there were other times when we would have somebody who's like a fucking genius improviser and they would not be able to say what we had written. Hmm. Right. And I was like, the job is you have to say what mm-hmm. we wrote. Like we can improvise around it. But like, I also am thinking about like an, as an EP cutting it together mm-hmm. and like, if you don't match what you've done in certain parts, like I can't right. use that. Right. right. Like if you go totally rogue, like, so there's also an art to improvising inside of something in a way that it is either tight or right. usable, you know, because again, we're never going to like use your three minute, like tangential bit, yeah. you know, but if you, if you can like give what you're doing some flavor of improv or like a little button or like sometimes we would go on a tangent and that would be okay as long as we had two cameras Mm -hmm. rolling and everybody was covered but like don't also don't improvise when the camera's not on you that's incredibly (laughs) unhelpful (laughs) you know and we would have that like there's also like technicalities of of filmmaking that i think you know not necessarily everyone knows or pays attention to because you're just kind of in performer mode. Whereas I'm like, again, like get out my user manual. Like I'm like, Oh, this is how this is working. And now we're in a close up. So if I do this like insane bit with all my hands and stuff, I'm not going to ever use it because it's only on my face. Right. And I, and I imagine like that kind of thing. Most people who learn how to improvise are learning in a theater. So they're like, everyone can see me. Yeah. Right. I'm never I'm never hidden. So that that's a that is a different uh, different skill set. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So when you and Jessica Sinclair are creating a show yes. or a movie. Yeah. What's the process like and how much are you? improvising i imagine you're just riffing the whole time we improvise we have like we've sort of like um gotten it down to uh, i guess a rough like template mm-hmm. um so we have to we come up with the sort of idea and make sure that it's telling something that we care about mm-hmm. telling because it uh, Specifically, if it isn't something, a story that we feel like is worth telling or that we really feel passionate about telling, then I don't know. It just does, again, right, the joy, right. you know? So um, I think the first thing is finding something that we're both equally excited about, a story that we both feel like we can sink our teeth in. 
and then we break it kind of loosely into a into a shape and then we go through and like really break it down like an outline like a really specific outline about what happens in mm -hmm. each scene and inside of that we're improvising sometimes we'll record ourselves we're typing like runs out um either writing them down or typing them on the computer um and then once we've done that and we feel like we know what all the scenes are and what kind of roughly needs to happen in them then we put each scene on its feet and we act it out and we record ourselves on garage mm. band and we do and we do rewrites that way so we then after we've done it once we talk about what we liked what we didn't like can we try and jess will be like oh i want to try something else and i'll be like oh i want to play this different character so we'll switch around characters oh my god um, that's amazing that's like yeah Nichols and, then, and May, um you know, when they recorded their records, there's one, there's one track. Yeah. Um, I forget what it's, it's on Nichols and May examine doctors. It's the last track. It's Nichols and May at work. And it's like an unedited yeah. session of them figuring out their scenes. And it's exactly what you're talking about. I don't know if you knew yeah. that. Did you guys stumble on this process? I didn't know that. I think Jess, Jessica and, and Jason Manzoukas had used it kind of roughly to do their, their two uh two-person mm -hmm. shows and then they wrote a pilot together similar to that jason also directed me in my one woman show so and i would improvise like that's i don't know i had to get it up on my feet and like out of my own way of thinking about like what i think the character would say versus like just existing mm -hmm. in it and then feeling like this is what they might say. And then you can go back and punch things up, right. you know? Um, so, so if you're coming from a character's did... perspective in the writing, you just said, you know, like, would the yeah. character say this or, or not say this? Like, what is driving you as an actor from the character's perspective? Is it like what they want? Is it their, mm -hmm. their you know, point of view politically or socially or like, yeah. What's the, you know, what's the driving force? There's usually like an underlying want or fear or something. I mean, you know, like in a movie, you really have to think about that over the mm -hmm. long haul. Like, like if you were writing a main character, like what, you know, you have this main thing that the character needs to learn basically. So if you're, so if you're riffing mm -hmm. while coming up with something like that, is, is that in your head? Like how do you sort of vacillate between the writer's brain, the actor's brain uh -huh. and the I comedian's think, brain, if you're going to be a funny person too. Right. I think it kind of is always in, in your head, but like, as we've been doing our like breakdown process, I think we've been coming up with like who this person is in general, mm -hmm. like at their core. Mm -hmm. um, and then, especially if you have somebody that you know already, you want to play that person or an mm -hmm. ideal person in mind that helps, I think, um, when it's like a, when it's going to be a movie ultimately. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's always in your mind, but like, you know, when you're improvising in the scene, like, you kind of get out of your own way. Like it's like the subconscious is allowed out and you're not judging yourself as you're doing it. And you're attempting to get hit certain beats, but like you can try different things to get there. 
how do you know when you've got there? How do you know when it's like, does a bell go off? Does it finally feel like, okay, that's it? Or is that process never done? Usually the first take is the best one. Mm. And then we do it a couple more times to feel like we, like we did it, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. we'll find like different transitions and stuff. But like, I like so many times we'll be like, we did this eight times. What were we thinking? You know, because what happens is after we improvise and it depends on what, you know, if it's our TV show or if it's a movie, but we would like transcribe, we would have it transcribed. So initially Mm -hmm. we were handwriting all of that out. And then, Oh my God. Then we're in a writer's room. uh, We have like writer's assistants who are typing it all out. So a couple people will take, like each MP3 away and like write, type it all out, right? Mm-hmm. Then we have like a rough, a very raw like document, rough draft, but it's like in script format. And then we we go through and we read it because again, like it's different the way you hear it versus the way you see it on the page and how you read it mm-hmm. off the page. So it has to work off the page because that's the medium that we work in. And and you have to give it to other people and yeah. hope that they can. They don't have to go through some translation process. Right, exactly. So we circle things that we like, 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 and a lot of times there are things that we love that just are not ever going to work because they're either too long or they don't tell the story or they're too insane or whatever, but they made us Mm -hmm. laugh in the moment. So it doesn't matter. Like Bocephus? Like Bocephus. So Bocephus was was initially pitched in Best Friends Forever, and then I resurrected him he'll he'll he will rise again um in the in playing house and we figured out a way to use him and the writer's room jessica always thought it was insane which is baked into her character's like pov of of me as Mm -hmm. mosefus she does not Mm -hmm. she did not care for him (laughs) Mm -hmm. on any level but yet it's like it's like some of people's favorite thing in the whole show Anyway, because it's crazy. But it's crazy. here's, here's yeah. my take on it. It's you playing the character. That's what's funny. It, it's almost like that SNL thing where like we know the performer yeah. who's doing it and yeah. we're sort of inside it. There's some comic distance. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. We never believe that Bocephus is a real person. Oh, no, of course not. And that's the fun of it. Yeah. We're sort and... of let in on in the way that you're you're riffing with Jack McBrayer in the costume shop. Yeah. We're allowed in on that. We're yes. in on the joke of you just having fun with your friend. Totally, totally, totally. And also in on the, like, that it actually pisses Jessica off <laughs> and, <laughs> and all that stuff. Like, that's also satisfying uh, to participate and, in. And, <laughs> and mustaches are never not funny. Um, so can we talk a little bit about stage stage yes. stuff? Sure. Um, so this is, this is very different than trying to come up with something that other actors can read. Yeah. Um, this is just you going out there having fun with friends, but yeah. still trying to create a character, trying to tell a story. Yeah. Uh, in long form improv, we, we want to wrap up the loose ends, at least thematically, if not story wise. Right. So how does character play in your improv play? Do you have a bag of characters that you can bring out at any time? Or are you just trying to create new stuff in the moment? Um, I mean, I probably do repeat characters. I don't have like a bag of characters that, that I like think about like which one would apply to this moment though. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think probably some people would 
be like, oh, that's a classic Lennon Parham character. Like people that have been on teams with me, you know, Mm -hmm. like that, like, oh, you know, or we would be setting something up and everybody's like, oh, Lennon's going to do that character. If like it's, if it's being set up, you know? Right. Um, but it, but it's not exactly, it's not the same character with the same name, same profession, same gesture. No. It's like a variation on a character theme. Yes. Yes. Um, like there are certain things that I love to do, like physic, physical comedy, dance, singing, like mm-hmm. any, anything that's really big and broad, like I'm, sign me up. If there's an animal in the scene, I love it. <laughs> I love it. I want to be that animal. You know, I want to be that weird bird. Yeah. I think I, you know, I usually start with, I mean, whatever the opening is, say we're doing a Herald, we have a, we have an opening. I usually get a couple of different ideas. Think about how, you know, very quickly about how it would best be to set that up and get it, you know, make it clear to my scene partner, like what, I'm playing with and like what I intend to go towards, but then also be open enough for them to come in and change it somehow. Mm -hmm. But I usually do make a pretty strong character choice. I'm imagining no one wants to change something right away. Yeah. I'm I'm imagining that they're like, Oh my God, I'm with Lennon Parham. This is so exciting. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. I I mean, I would be, I would be. No, you wouldn't. Ken. How, um, so in that sort of the, the three hats you wear as, as an improviser, right? You're the writer, you're the actor, Mm -hmm, you're the emotional mm -hmm, actor, mm -hmm. you're the comedian, Mm -hmm. maybe you're the director too. Okay. So maybe there's four hats. Mm -hmm. All right. You're also the executive producer. So five hats. (laughs) When you're improvising, like, do you lean towards one thing or another? Are you like, I'm going to find the funny or you're like, I'm coming from an actor's perspective and it's, it's their want driving it. Or are you looking at as a writer? Like, I know two beats from now, I have to get to X, so I'm going to set that up. I don't know. I don't know. I think I I usually am just trying to be, like, really super present in whatever's happening. Um, mm-hmm. And be, like, number one, it's a comedy. Like, number one, right. it's comedy for me. And then following that with, like making everything grounded and real. I mean, in the world, you know, like roughly <laughs> a little, mm-hmm. it's a little, there's a little more wiggle room in an improv show. There's a difference between grounded and improv grounded. Yeah. You know, again, this is, this is theory here. For those of you wanting a little bit of theory, this is a theory <laughs> moment. Um, in that, you know, it's that Bertolt Brecht thing of like, no one really suspends their disbelief. They know your improvisers improvising. Right. And, and they want to see improvisers improvising, you know, uh, well, which yeah. is having fun. Yeah. 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 So like, that's my theory. Fun for me, fun for my theme partner, la- making the backline laugh, making the audience laugh. Like those are the, those are the priorities, right? Um, right integrity of character is I don't really think about that I I want it to be real because it'll be funnier if it's real right I want to say what this person would say in this space I want to react in a very real way because if I don't everybody's like why the fuck didn't she react at all like a a cougar just jumped out at her um I want to like edit before it's not fun anymore um I want to make a smart move because it's funnier when you, when you make a smart move. Like, I guess it's all in service of 
of the comedy of it, but also like I care about, like I want it to be satisfying for myself, for the audience. I do like it when it comes full circle. I don't think about like callbacks as much, like, you know, a lot of times there were other people on the team that were better at like connections and callbacks Mm -hmm. and like that sort of thing. Eric Tenoy stands out for me as like a, like he was always, Risa Sangurai, they were always, thinking about oh, yeah. that. Um, of course. You got to have that player. We had uh, Todd Stashwick in my old group who was, yeah. a, he was an IO guy and like just a genius at tying stuff together. So we didn't have to worry about it. Like I was on teams with, with master comedy minds. So like Anthony King, Joe Winger, like these are people that, you know, they just think comedically and mm-hmm. it's fun to be around them. It's fun to see what they've what they've taken from the beginning, you know. Do you, if you have someone like an Anthony King who can handle the writer's aspect of it, if you will, or, or mm-hmm. the comedy premise set up, do you, do you relax more and, and feel like you can just sort of be silly and play your silly character? Yeah. Or do you feel like you have to step up and match them? Um. I don't know if I think about it that way. Like, I definitely, like, Manzukas has a show that he does called Manzukas And, and it kind of came out of these cage matches that he and I ended up doing because we started doing a cage match um, that was me, Manzukas, St. Clair, and Zach Woods. Because Zach oh Woods God. and I Jesus. were in an improv team called Skinny Business, and they were had a show called um, I will not apologize. So our four-person team with Skinny Business will not apologize, which is insane. <laughs> um, but we had like a really nice run of cage match shows when I first was coming out to LA or moved here, I think. And um, Zach then got a job and Jess also was working or wasn't available or something. And so it ended up being just me and Jason for the full cage match. For like hmm. six weeks in a row, and then I had to miss, and then it was Jason and 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 Zach, and they lost, and we were all really angry with them. But um, that makes sense. I think that, like with Jason, there are certain people that I feel like I am literally I'm not worried about anything hmm. when I'm on stage with Jason. I don't like I'm not worried about making it funny. I'm not worried about making it real. Like I know that that will happen, that that will be there, that it will be that there will be some emotional arc that will like engage the audience, that they'll care deeply about these characters, that mm-hmm. by the end something insane will happen, that it will be really fun for me, fun for everyone. Like that's a really good feeling. That doesn't happen. Yeah, that's rare. What gives you that level of, of trust with someone? Is it just time in the trenches? Or is it just a, a feeling you get when you first meet? Is it seeing their work without you involved, like you in the audience? Um, or is it just you've done a couple of good shows and you're like, that worked? I don't know. I think... I don't know. That's a good question. I I mean, Jason and I certainly have performed together a good jillion times and I know I make him laugh and Mm -hmm. he knows, he knows that I think he's funny. So Mm -hmm. like, obviously he thinks he's funny, but like, I don't know. There's something about like, 
we just trust each other like really deeply and I mean that that I've had I've been lucky to have that in lots of ways but like I don't know if it's it, it doesn't always turn into like a great show you know what I mean so right but I'm not sure exactly what the magic formula is it's just I just know I don't like think anybody does I just know that like if he calls me I'm like there because it'll make my whole week better oh that's good that's good. Um, all right. So I think we're getting to, to the end of the podcast. Whoa. I don't have like a traditional end, but I, I will ask this. What's your top improv moment? Do you have one? Is it that first time you got that huge oh. laugh at the high school competition? The the one that, that has always stood out for me, and I think it... Um... I think it's because it sort of scratches a bunch of my personal itches, which is it was a, a shoves show, which was my team after Dillinger, which was my first Herald team. Legendary team. So this is my, yes, my second Herald team, the shoves. We were in like some sort of groove. We had had like killer show after killer show. And we were really feeling good and feeling synchronized. And we did a show where the whole show ended up being inside of this girl's head, which was played by Risa Sangurai. I'm getting chills as I talk about it. Anybody that was at that show remembers it as well. Like I've heard, I've seen people talk about it on, you know, and, and, or people will talk about it or remember it. But Mm -hmm. um, Angeliki and I did a series of scenes as the same characters and they were sort of like, it was like chronological and it became clear that my character was in love with her character. And then in the very end, she was going to (laughs) die. And everybody was like, this can't happen. And then we all came out. And at that point, because it had been the group games had to do with it being inside Reese's head, I think. And so at the mm-hmm. end, I went, I was like begging her, Risa, to change what would happen so that Angeliki would live so that I could be with her so that so that she so that the love of my life would live and like people were crying, but it was also oh, hilarious. Wow. It was like so yeah. insane. And so I was like, that, for me, that, like, first of all, that improv could, like, go there and succeed, mm-hmm. um, that that could happen in an audience, that we could be crying and laughing together all at once, and only the people there w- would experience that. It was pretty magical. Um, that it could transcend just, like, bits and jokes. Um, mm-hmm. To do, like, a compelling story in 25 minutes, like, while watching people in their jeans, like, I don't know. There, the 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 juxtaposition of like real life and compassion and like tearjerker and also like hilariousness. Like that is kind of what I went on to do. Um, mm-hmm. Like and use as my career and profession. Like the, the TV shows that I wrote. Like we really strove to do that as well. Um, create those moments of. Uh, like where you're crying and you're laughing because that's what real life is. Uh, it sounds like a pretty magical show. I wish I had a time machine so I can go back and watch it. 
Yeah. But I'll just, I'll find those people that are still talking about that set and have them describe it to <laughs> Please me, uh, over Please and do. over <laughs> again. I know those moments. I've, I've been in, you know, those kind of shows. I bet you have. I know you have. I think I've been witness to some of them. Yeah. I hope so. Where you feel changed, the audience feels changed, everyone sort of walks out. Like that's the power of theater and improv, especially because it is unique. Yeah. It's only happening now. It's just those people that get to have that moment. It's very, very precious in that sense. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Lennon, Parham, not Parham. Thanks for being on the Centralia Improvisational Podcast. Is there anything else you want to say? Anything you thought about you wanted to get out here to our Dozens of listeners. No, no, no. All right, Lennon Parham, I'll let you go. Thank you, Kevin Scott. <laughs> Say hi to everybody. Thank you so much for doing this. It's yeah. really great. Really great to chat. You too. We'll do it again in another 12 years. All right. I'd love it before then, but this <laughs> is like per your sketch. Yeah. Seriously, brah. Okay, brah. <laughs> All right. Keep it real, dog. Okay. <laughs> Later, Tater. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Well, there you have it, the great Lennon Parham. I hope you uh, enjoyed that talk. I know I certainly did. She is uh, always fun to talk with. Very smart, very funny, but that's obvious. You just listened to it, so you know that. If you want to support the Centralia Improvisational Podcast, you can do so on our page on anchor.fm. Be sure to like, subscribe. If you want to send us a message, find us on Instagram. Centralia Improvisation or on the Facebooks, send us a message. Tell, tell us what you want to have us talk more about, right? More how-tos. What do you want to hear? What do you, what do you want to know about? Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back very shortly with more tips, improv talk, and uh, randomness on the Centralia Improvisational Podcast. <laughs>